I hope that you enjoy this sermon, Implications of Grace, delivered at Circle K Ranch on August 14th. May you be blessed with peaceful nights and gentle days. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for being here. Thank you for um, your willingness to share in the word of God. Leon, thank you for your beautiful message through the word of music and your beautiful wife for being here today. It's, it's an honor to be in the presence of that blessing. So thank you. Heavenly Father, uh, guide us and direct us this morning. Allow my words to touch the hearts of those that are here and to give them joy and peace and comfort in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So this morning, we're going to talk about the implications of grace and what that looks like throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. I don't know if you've ever considered, considered the implications of grace within your own lives, in the life of your family, of your community, and of the world at large. First, let me offer a definition of grace. Grace is God's free and unmerited favor, a free gift from God. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. And we can't do enough good deeds to balance out the grace that God gives us continually. It's just given to us, provided for us, free of charge. There's the gospel of grace. There's the mystery of grace. There's the doctrine of grace. There is the covenant of grace, the graciousness through Jesus, grace in the midst of free will, divine grace, human grace, Grace to us and grace through us. Grace is a divine promise. It is a gift from God that supersedes sin and the law. Spiritual warfare against grace began in the Garden of Eden. It is within the brokenness of the truth about God's grace that the grace shines through. I like to think of the picture of a kaleidoscope with all the broken pieces of glass that really could have been thrown away. But when they're brought together and the light shines through, it creates a really beautiful picture. I think of the stained glass windows in churches that um, depict such beauty. And that's what grace does for us. It pieces us back together. It makes us even more beautiful than we were before grace was bestowed to us. Grace is our spiritual oxygen. Grace is a gift from God that all believers are privy to. There is a human dependence on divine grace, whether we realize it or not. Human freedom has the power to embrace or reject the movement of God's grace. Grace is not performance-based. Where are you a grace giver? Think about that. Where do you share and administer God's grace to other people? When and where has God given you his divine grace in your daily events of life? Actions of grace that I have witnessed here at Circle K are Saturday Smiles, where Cindy and her team administer God's grace. The Veterans Connection yesterday, all of us were present where the administration of God's grace took place. Inner city youth coming here for decades to receive the administration of God's grace. The event tonight 
to spread grace over the leaders that are coming here. Grace. Leon, your music, administration of grace. Think about just this morning. Did you administer grace to someone? Have you yet? Did you? Where? What did it feel like? How did you experience being a grace giver? If you haven't done that yet, make it a plan today to be the administrator of grace to other people. As I mentioned, grace is all over the Bible. It's really the heart of the Bible. The fact that we have the Bible is actually an act of grace. There is Old Testament grace within the parameters of the law, and there is New Testament grace that came to earth in human form through Jesus. Grace returned to heaven to continue to be our redeemer. There was grace before the cross in the Old Testament, and there is grace after the cross in the New Testament. Everything before the cross was looking to the cross. All the prophecies, all of God's actions were all pointing to the cross. And everything after the cross causes us to look back at the cross, at the willingness of Jesus to be our redeemer, at the willingness of him to graciously die for us was an act of grace. So we look at before the cross and after the cross. And the cross stands in the middle of human history. Is not every miracle in the Bible an act of grace? Is not every miracle in your life an act of grace? Think about it. Grace casts a long shadow. When we're out in the sunlight or there are lights, like bad lighting here, or you can't see my face, but when we're out and the sun is shining, there are different shadows that we see. And at noon, we really don't see any shadows. But as the sun moves along, uh, the sky shadows change. But grace always casts a long shadow. No matter what time of day, no matter what time of night, grace is covering everybody with the shadow and the light that shines through that grace. I'm going to talk about grace in the Old Testament and the New Testament. I want to begin with Saul on the road to Damascus. The book of Acts is the disciples living out what Jesus taught them and carrying it to the ends of the earth. That's grace. Saul was the chief antagonist to spreading to, I'm sorry, Saul was the chief antagonist to the spreading of the way, of the word, of Jesus, of the good news, and of the gospel. He killed and imprisoned people wherever he went. If there was an inkling that anybody was saying anything about the word of Christ, Paul was there to take him to prison or to kill them. Stephen was the first martyr of the church. Stephen, who gave a brilliant and eloquent summary of the history of Christianity, was stoned to death by a hostile crowd while Paul, Saul, stood front and center and found joy in being present in this brutal murder. That's who Saul, Paul, was. Acts 7.60 says, And Saul was giving approval of his death. Saul, Saul stood in approval of Stephen's death. A little bit later in the book of Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 9, the Bible says, Okay. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord and his disciples. 
he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found there anyone who belonged to the way, whether man or woman, he might take them as prisoners in Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven was around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what to do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could not see. So they led him by the hand to Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Then the Lord speaks to Ananias and tells him to go and um, speak to Paul, Saul, and tell him um, what he was going to do next. So then in verse 17, Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you can see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. A huge act of grace by God. Paul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. He preached in the same synagogues where he got the letter to come and take people captive, to throw them in prison, and to possibly kill and murder them. That is grace casting a long shadow. If we did nothing else but study the life of Paul, we would see grace in action all over the place and God changing his life to be a hero for the word of Christ. This one huge act of grace informs the rest of the Bible. We find a man completely changed by an act of grace that goes on to share the way and endure trials, tribulation, and prison. No person apart from Jesus Christ himself shaped the history of Christianity like the Apostle Paul. The word of grace is mentioned 56 times in the NIV, which I'm using, 10 10 times alone in the book of Acts, 8 times in the Old Testament, 48 times in the New Testament, 8 times in Roman, and 9 times in 1st and 2nd Corinthians. And although the word of grace is not mentioned, uh, is only mentioned 8 times in the Old Testament, the grace of God is profoundly present in all Old Testament discourse. God's creation of the universe for his children was an act of grace, preparing everything that his children would need before he placed them on earth was an act of grace. The acts of grace throughout the Old Testament are insurmountable. The entire book of Esther, where God's name is never mentioned, not once, is a book of God's grace and action. The story of Joseph in Genesis is a story of God's grace and action. The story of Abraham going out to the desert, not knowing where he's headed, not having a plan other than to listen to God, and then being kept from killing his one and only son is an act of grace from God. 
the book of Hosea, sort of a book that not a lot of people spend any time in, but the book of Hosea is a book of grace upon grace upon grace. Exodus, uh, in Exodus 3.8, it says, So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, grace. Exodus 4.15 says, this is when Moses was complaining about, I don't know how to talk, and you want me to go and talk to Pharaoh, and he's, you know doesn't believe in himself and all that stuff, and God's like, oh my gosh. So he sends his brother Aaron, but in 4.15 he says, I will help both of you speak, and I will teach you what to do. That's grace. Second Kings 6.14, we see another act of grace. When Elijah teaches his servant how to see with spiritual eyes. So we have uh, King Aram who wants to kill Elijah because Elijah knows all this stuff and the king is always thwarted because everybody knows his plans before they happen. So at this time, Elijah is trying to teach his servant about the grace of God through God's miracles. So 14 says, he sent horses and chariots and a, and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army of horses and chariots had surrounded the city. So all the servant saw was the bad guys that had surrounded them. Oh, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Do not be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elijah said and prayed, O Lord, open the eyes so he may see. And then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots all around Elijah. Another act of grace for this servant to see and understand the power of what God does to us and through us. We could talk all day for weeks about the insurmountable actions of grace within the Bible. We could do the same about the insurmountable grace that I'm sure each one of us can count thousands of times in our own lives and in the lives of those that are around us and where we have administered that grace to others. Grace can come in the form of something super simple like telling somebody thank you. Grace can come in the form of a very simple hello to someone that looks lost and afraid. So many opportunities for us to give and receive grace every day. A grace event doesn't have to be huge to be life-changing. A lot of times we don't even know where we have administered life-changing grace to someone. But when we get to heaven, maybe we'll, we'll find out we'll learn of all the ways that we change people's lives through these very simple and beautiful acts of grace. Look for grace everywhere you go. Grace in every moment of your life. Seek grace, share grace, experience the implications of grace all day, every day. Author Philip Yancey said, beyond the darkness, there is grace. In the light of the bright day, there is grace. You guys know that little emoji on your phone? There's a little smiley face with the little arms that are 
going like a hug. Well, whenever I look at that little emoji, I think about God's grace, just like wanting to give us a hug. So if you see that emoji on your phone, just let it be a reminder to you of God's grace, that he wants to hug you with his grace, and he calls us to be the givers of that same grace. The gates of grace are always open. They are never closed. Grace is always flowing to and fro. We just have to, like the servant in, uh, in the scripture I read earlier, to be able to see with spiritual eyes sometimes, to see the grace that's just all over the place. Acts 20.24 20, says, However, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task of the Lord that the Lord Jesus has given me, the task to testify to the gospel of God's grace. That is our unique calling. It's upon each one of us to testify to the gospel of God's grace. Grace and peace be with you now and always. Amen.